uh, to everyone, just letting parents have a heads up that we're going to be talking about some adult topics within marriage. Um, so, just a heads up, married couples, are you excited? Yeah. <laughs> Let me first of all just say that Brian Durham did a great job last week in First Corinthians chapter 6, which addresses the issue of sexual immorality. Uh, he did a did a great job, and in First Corinthians chapter six, the Apostle Paul is addressing this issue within a church that is in a culture, the Corinthian church, is living within a culture that is over sexualized, where sex is just such a big issue, and sexual immorality is such a big issue, it's practiced, and it's very similar to the culture in which we live in, where you watch stuff on the screen, commercials for toothpaste or anything, and it's sexualized. And so uh, the Apostle Paul spent some time addressing that, and he told the Corinthians to flee sexual immorality. He gave them this imperative to, to run from sexual immorality, kind of like Joseph, when Joseph was, was there with Potiphar's wife, and, and she tried to lay with him. And he just took off and left his cloak, and he fled sexual immorality. But also, the Apostle Paul didn't merely give an instruction, a command to just run away from that. He gave some theological basis for why Christians, how Christians should view this issue, in particular, in light of the reality that you and I have been bought at a price. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and God's Spirit dwells inside of us. God has made us holy. God has made us His. And so there is this mighty therefore. Therefore glorify God with your body, which is God's. You belong to God, so give Him honor and glory with what you do with your body. What you do with your body matters. It matters. There was this philosophy that, that saw all matter as, as evil, or um, it, 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 that it, it encouraged the idea that it doesn't really matter what you do with your body. But the Bible tells us that God created everything good, and He cares about how we live our lives and how we handle ourselves, right? And, and Jesus Himself gave dignity to our human bodies and, and taking on a body himself. And God, the Father, created us in his own image. And he gave us human bodies to, to live for the glory of his name, to live for him. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the Apostle Paul goes into marriage matters. And, and, and see this in connection with what the Apostle Paul has already said. Glorify God with your bodies. And he teaches how to do that within the marriage relationship and how to do that as a single. So let me pray and we'll, we'll jump in together. Father, as we look at this issue that matters, marriage that matters and the issue of sexuality and self-control and honoring you in this aspect of our lives, 
We ask that you would give us your perspective, your heart. We ask that you would bring healing where there's brokenness in our lives. Freedom where there's bondage in our lives. And removal of guilt and shame where there's guilt and shame and broke that sort of brokenness in our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. First Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man, this is in quotes, the ESV puts it in quotes, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. And then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now as concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as myself, but each one has his own gift from God. One of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should not marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married, I give this charge. Not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. All right. We'll stop there. Um... Now, I'm not going to be able to answer every question about this chapter in this session today, in this sermon today. But I do want to highlight some important things. And the first one that we want to bring up is this idea of sex. Is it good or is it bad? It seemed as though that there were some who had this mentality that sex was unspiritual and not good, even within the marriage covenant, right? And so the Apostle Paul seems to be addressing that particular question. Is sex good or is it bad? And many with, within the culture, they treat sex as a god. They overemphasize sexuality. Others, and, and many within religious culture, treat sex as gross. But the biblical Christian view of sex is that it is a gift to be enjoyed and celebrated within the context of a marriage between a husband and a wife. Now just think about this first of all, that the, the, the purest, holiest mind in the universe had this idea of a man and a woman being together and having creating a family unit and children coming forth from their union 
Right? I'm sorry uh, if you're with your parents here today. I'm sorry if this is embarrassing. (laughs) But let me just say, this is nothing to be ashamed of. And it's sad that the world can educate many folks on this area, but the church in many ways has failed to talk about this because many see it as taboo or gross or dirty. But when we get God's perspective, when we see that in the Bible that it's described as a gift, it's it's described as something to be celebrated within marriage, there's beauty and there's goodness in this, then we'll be more prone to treat it appropriately, to see it appropriately and treat it appropriately. So let me first of all just highlight this, that marriage is designed to provide companionship or intimacy. Marriage is designed to provide companionship. In Genesis chapter 4, it says that Adam knew his wife, Eve. And you know what happened after that? After he knew her, they had kids. Now, of course, we know what happened there, right? We know how that happened. But the way that the, the biblical author describes it is, Adam knew his wife. You see, it's a beautiful and profound thing that within the marriage covenant, a husband and wife are able to know each other and see one another for who one another, for who each other are, and delight in one another and experience the closeness of being together relationally, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. What a beautiful thing that is. What a gift that is. And here's one of my favorite quotes from Tim Keller on this. He says, To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved, well, is a lot like being loved by God. It's what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense. It humbles us out of our self-righteousness. And it fortifies us from any difficulty, for any difficulty that life can throw at us. God has designed marriage to provide intimacy and companionship, closeness within the marriage relationship. And that is a gift. And it says of the first couple in Genesis 2.25 that they were both naked and unashamed. Just hear the purity and the innocence in that. Naked and unashamed. That's before sin entered the world in Genesis chapter 3. And distorted and brought brokenness, blame shifting, division between God and between humanity. Sex and marriage could be described as like a fire within a fireplace. Ray Orland says that a marriage can flourish within both form and freedom because sex is like a fire. In the fireplace, it keeps us warm. Outside of the fireplace, it burns the house down. Here's the message of the Bible. Keep the fire within the marital fireplace and stoke that fire as hot as you can. How many of y'all love a good fire around the fire pit? Fires are great for roasting marshmallows. They're great for warming yourself in the winter when it's cold. Okay? But when they're not contained and when they're out of their place, when there's not boundaries around those fires, you experience like what what Texas was experiencing this past week in Abilene and 
and Lano, wildfires just destroying everything in its path. And this is what the Apostle Paul described in chapter 6, what sexual immorality does to a person. It breaks them down, it devours them, it destroys their being, and it destroys others. When there's the, the enjoyment of that pleasure of sexual intimacy without biblical commitment to one another, emotionally, mentally, physically. C.S. Lewis says this in his book, Mere Christianity. He says the monstrosity of sexual intercourse outside of marriage is like those who indulge and is like that those who indulge in it are trying to isolate one union sexual from all other kinds of union, which are meant to go along with it and make up the total union. The Christian attitude doesn't mean that there is anything wrong about sexual pleasure. It means that you mustn't isolate that pleasure and try to get it by itself any more than you ought to try to get the pleasure of taste without swallowing and digesting by chewing things and spitting them out. Right? You see, with the appetite of, of food, with our food appetites, we enjoy the taste of good food. And God's, God's made it that way. Aren't you glad that God's made it that way? Aren't you glad that we don't get nourishment from eating paper or grass? You know? Uh, we get to enjoy steak, and we get to enjoy muffins, and we get to enjoy ice cream. And we, and, and we, we, we enjoy the taste, but we also get the nourishment that it provides for our body as we take it in. And through sexual intimacy, there is pleasure to be had. But there's also this strengthening of that union of marriage, of that marriage relationship. Tim Keller describes it kind of like communion. Each week how Christians come together and, and, and remind themselves of what Christ has done. And they partake of communion, Jesus giving himself away fully for us so that we might be his forever. And in sexual intimacy, there's a giving away of oneself completely to one another. The book of Proverbs. If you've ever read through the book of Proverbs, maybe even as a kid, if you come, if you're on, uh, you know, day five in the month and you read Proverbs chapter five, you're going to come across this verse, and you you might have some questions for mom and dad here. But it says, let the fountain, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. A loving deer, a graceful doe, let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with the forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? The whole book of Songs of Solomon, Song of Solomon, it celebrates the beauty and the pleasure of sexual intimacy within a marriage relationship as a good thing, not a bad thing, not a dirty thing, a holy thing, the holiest mind in the universe thought of it and created it. And so there's a blessing of sexual intimacy within marriage. Sexual intimacy is a gift to enjoy within marriage. It's a means by which children come forth in this world, procreation. It's a pleasant experience, pleasure. It's, it also helps guard against the temptation of sexual immorality. There's protection, and it strengthens the marriage relationship. And so the Apostle Paul says that, that married couples are not to deprive one another 
not to hold back sexual intimacy. Of course, it shouldn't be forced within the marriage. It should, this shouldn't be used as a, a means to control or manipulate a spouse within the marriage. The Apostle Paul says there should be an agreement if there's a withstanding from. Let me, first of all, just to, before we go any further, define what marriage is. And here's a great definition from Sam Storms. Marriage is the enjoyment of spiritual and physical unity between one man and and one woman based on a lifelong covenant commitment. The ultimate aim, which is to display the covenant relationship between Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. And I think this is important because we live in a day that's, that seeks to redefine what marriage is. And biblical marriage is a man and a woman. A, a union Spiritual and physical between a man and a woman. It's a covenant commitment. It's a picture that displays Christ in the church. Would you turn me down just a little bit back there, guys? The next is that marriage is designed to be a partnership, a mutuality. Now, these are this is implied within these verses here. He says, uh, the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority uh, over her own body, but the husband does. And he doesn't stop there. He says this statement, which must have been shocking for the first century. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over her own body, but the wife does. You see, there's this giving away to one another within marriage. And he says, do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a, limit, a, for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And so within marriage, there is this mutuality. There's this partnership together. The scripture says two are better than one. Marriage is a partnership, not a dictatorship. I love what... Matthew Henry says, he says, speaking of, of God creating Eve, he says, Eve was not made out of his head to rule over him, or Eve was not made, over, uh, made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected and near his heart to be loved. Amen. Marriage is a partnership. Isn't it a beautiful thing that we get in marriage? We get we get to have built-in prayer partners within marriage. Built-in prayer partners. Healthy marriages are marked by prayer. Healthy marriages are marked by mutual agreement. Healthy marriages are marked by service of one another and delight in one another. Healthy marriages are marked by honest communication. Okay? And the Apostle Paul is giving some vision here. He's given some instructions for how Christians can cultivate healthy marriages. How they can have a biblical perspective and cultivate healthy marriages. There's th there should be this mutuality, not this dominating authoritarianism of a husband crushing and running over 
his wife, their team, their partners. Marriage is described as like a dance. Okay? It takes two. It takes two to dance. Right? And if one's dancing and the other one's not, that's not very graceful, is it? Right? You, you have to work together. And, and those of you couples who have spent any time dancing, you know that, this is, that there's times when you step on your partner's toes, your wife's toes, or your husband's toes. Or you miss a step. You miss a beat. Maybe your feelings get hurt because your spouse won't dance with you. Or you step on one another's toes. And so communication has to occur within the marriage relationship. There has to be a giving and a receiving. And now I know not, not all of us are excellent at dancing. I wouldn't consider myself to be good at dancing. But here's, what, here's what's important. That you communicate within the dance and you enjoy the dance. And who cares, who cares about what other people think about you at the dance? Just enjoy your spouse and dancing with your spouse and do your best to communicate within that relationship and within the dance. And marriage is like that. The husbands and the wives both have roles and parts to play within the marriage. There's giving and receiving. And intimacy occurs within, profound intimacy occurs within the marriage when there is a mutual delighting in one another. When both spouses delight to please and serve one another. Christian marriages serve one another. Husbands and, sp- husbands and wives serve one another within Christian marriages. And this isn't just in the marriage bed. This is outside of the bed. This also includes doing dishes, husbands. Getting the application points here. And a number of other things. Listening to your spouse. Connecting with her heart, husbands. It's often it's been said that that sex starts in the kitchen. <laughs> Marriage is designed also to be a loving commitment. It's designed to be a partnership. It's designed to provide intimacy and companionship within marriage, but it is designed to be lifelong, a covenant commitment between a man and a woman. And the Apostle Paul points us to this in verse 10 and 11. He says, to the married I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else reconcile to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. Now, Jesus does give an exception. There, is, there are exceptions for divorce. If there's sexual immorality on, on, on behalf of one of the, the spouses. But ideally, divorce should, should not happen. It's not God's design. God has designed marriages, a husband and a wife, to be together lifelong. And so what that means is that when your marriage faces hardship, and it will... When it faces sickness, when it faces opposition, when it faces intruders or those who try to tempt you, those outside of your marriage tempt you, or when there's hurt and there's unforgiveness and pain within the marriage, when your marriage faces those things, you must fight for your marriage. Fight for your marriage. Pray for your marriage. Seek a godly counselor. 
if, if you need if you need outside help, if it's just not working, you're not able to work through the conflict together. And as Christians, we have the power to, to overcome whatever obstacles come our way in marriage and in life. When I officiated my, my brother-in-law's uh, wedding, I think back in 2018, I reminded him of a story when we were in the mountains of Colorado. We went camping, and we had a couple of vehicles, and we, we passed a sign that says for, that said four-wheel drive only. And we went, uh, I was in the four-wheel drive vehicle, and the other one was only two-wheel drive. And sure enough, it didn't take very long until my brother-in-law's vehicle that he was driving got stuck on a one-lane road where there was lots of gravel and rocks and the tires were just spinning. And so there was really only one option at that point for us, and that was to back the vehicle down, back down this hill. And on the side was, uh, down at the bottom of the valley, was a smashed car that obviously didn't make it at some point. And got down there. And so we slowly backed the vehicle down. And I was kind of standing there on the side. Just if, if, if it was going to go down, I was going to try to pull them out. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> My wife's cousin was on the other side of the vehicle. He was thinking that maybe he could stop it from falling off. I don't know what he was thinking. But thankfully, we made it back down. He made it back down. We were able to enjoy a, a, a wonderful camping trip up in the, the mountains outside of Telluride, Colorado. But I reminded him on his wedding day, about six or seven months later, that marriage requires four-wheel drive. It's not enough to just just try to will it and just gut it up and make it work. You need a power outside of yourself. You need the power of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit because you will go through all kinds of challenging terrain in marriage and in life. And Jesus provides the power we need to remain faithful and, to, and committed to one another till death do us part. Marriage is designed to be a loving commitment, ultimately the ultimate purpose and design for marriage is to point to the relationship between Christ and the church. To, to, to bear witness and display the beauty of God's loving faithfulness to his people. And the Apostle Paul, he taps into this in Ephesians chapter 5. One of my favorite passages on marriage in the New Testament. He says that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And he laid down his life for her. And, husband, and wives are to, to submit to their husbands. And he finishes that section calling them both to love and respect. Healthy marriages are marked by love and respect. Now, I know we have, it seems like the singles didn't come this morning, but we, we do have a couple of singles here this morning. Let me, first, let me also highlight within this chapter that singleness is a gift as well, as the Apostle Paul highlights this. Uh, by the way, here's my big idea. Marriage is a gift and a calling that, that is given and designed by God. And singleness is also a gift. 
Both must be managed managed well by honoring God in how we use our bodies and serve others. And so singleness is also a gift. Notice what Paul says. Now, as concession, not as command, I say this. I wish that all were as myself. But each has his own gift from God. One of one kind and one of the uh, another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So singleness is also a gift. If you're here or, and you're, or you're watching online today, you hear this message today, and you're single, know that you are not second class because you're not married. Unfortunately, marriage has been idolized in, in many religious circles. Now, marriage is to be honored, and it is a God-given, beautiful gift and design from God. But it should never be uh, idolized. Marriage is a good thing, but it's not everything. Okay? Marriage is a good thing, but it's not everything. And sex within marriage is a good thing, but it's not everything within marriage. There's so much more. And so Paul describes marriage as a gift, and Paul describes singleness as a gift. And further down in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he describes some of the challenges that come along with marriage. Now, any, any of you who've been married for more than a few months know that there are challenges that come along in marriage, or a year, or how, what's the, I'm, I'm interested to know, who's been married more than 30 years here? Okay, 35, 38, 39, 40, 41. How many years? 44. 44. Wow. Y'all should, y'all should be up here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 45. 45. Wow. Okay, 44 and 45. We're going to do Q&A afterwards, and we're going to have the veterans come up and answer any difficult questions you have about marriage and marital intimacy. <laughs> Every marriage has its challenges and has its problems. The very first marriage had problems, right? There were financial problems, arguably. They, they didn't have any clothes to wear. There were spiritual problems. Eve was listening to a talking snake, right? There's relational problems. They were blame shifting and pointing the finger at one another. There were family problems. One brother killed another brother. There were all kinds of problems. And every marriage relationship experiences challenges and experiences problems. But God gives grace for each of those. And by the power of the gospel and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can face those but Paul doesn't want single, single Christians to move into marriage um, naively. He wants them to realize that there are problems. He says that, um, <clears throat> uh, verse 25, he says, Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress... It is good for a person to remain as he is. So it appears that there was some kind of present distress, some kind of specific circumstance 
that would make marriage even more challenging. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. If, but if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you of that. Okay? There's troubles. There's challenges. There's difficulties. In every relationship. And, and there's also privileges of being single. Right? Um, Paul goes on and he says, I would, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. And the unmarried or the betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord and how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things and how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If you're single, if you're in a season of singleness, see it as a gift. See the opportunities that you have to be fully devoted to the Lord, to immerse yourself in pursuit of God and pursuit of mission. See it as a gift. Don't waste your singleness if you're single. Now, I got I I got the gift of being single for 12 or 13 years before Kendall and I got married, and I wanted to be married. But one of the things that that I aim to do was to find contentment and satisfaction in God, whether God ever brought me a wife or not. I was committed to loving Him and worshiping Him and telling others about Him, and I wasn't going to let the distraction of finding a godly wife deter me from the calling and the path that God had for my life. Hallelujah. And I think that's a great way to prepare for marriage, if you are single, by the way, is cultivating con contentment and joy and delight in God. Finding God to be your greatest treasure. Because I think when, when a person moves into marriage and they've found their place in the relationship with God and in life. They know who they are. They know whose they are. They know that ultimately God is going to provide for all their needs. And God is truly enough. God truly is our portion. When a person enters into marriage having experienced that state of being, they're so much more freed up to give into the marriage, to pour into the marriage Instead of just coming in like, gimme, 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 gimme. Because when you have two people like that, you got like two leeches, gimme, 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 gimme. That's not going to work very well, right? And so I, I think, I've also discovered in my 11 years, 12 years of marriage, that marriage works best when husband and wife seek to please one another, seek to serve one another, consider one another as better than themselves. Now, of course, this is a lot easier said than done. It's easy for me to say that here on Sunday morning, but Monday morning is coming. There are dishes to do. There are lunches to be made. There are kids to be cared for, tasks around the house that my wife needs my help with. 
And when I do that, and I serve her in that way, it shows love and value to her. Lastly, let me look. Let us look at um, this idea of marriage between believers and unbelievers. Now, first of all, the Bible um, exhorts Christians not to marry non-Christians. <laughs> I mean, you save yourself a lot of trouble. Don't don't marry a non-Christian, right? If you, I, Christians should marry Christians. We are not to be unequally yoked, as Paul would say in Second Corinthians. But there are a number of cases where. Non-Christian, somebody, a, a husband or wife comes to the Lord, and their spouse doesn't yet come to the Lord. And so, what what do those couples do? Paul says they should stay together, and they should try to work things out as much as possible. And and, and that spouse should be a faithful witness, a faithful spouse, for the sake of the the, the, the other spouse and for the sake of the children. He says to the rest, I say not I. I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is a believer, he has consents to live with her. She should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. And the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean as it is. They are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Okay. Now, there's obviously questions that arise as we read this, right? First of all, what does it mean that a spouse is made holy or children are made holy? And what does it mean that a um, husband or a wife can, quote, save their, their spouse? I think the emphasis here is on influence. Jesus said to his followers, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And within marriage, when if there's anyone who finds themselves as a Christian within married to a non-Christian, to an unbeliever, remember that your influence is important within that marriage covenant and within the family. So don't abandon ship. Because God may use your faithful and loving witness within that marriage covenant within that family to win over family members to Christ. It's ultimately, it's God who saves people, right? But God uses witnesses. God uses the preaching of the gospel. God uses lives that testify to the gospel by how they're lived. Holy lives, godly lives. And he wants to use us to be witnesses in every area. And for us, it should start in our home, right? It should be those who know us the best, who see us the closest, that, that, that can testify, can testify that our lives are being lived for the glory of God. And so let's look at this last little section here that the Apostle Paul uh, calls Christians to live in God's calling for their lives. 
He says, only let each one, let each person lead the life that God has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at that time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. Praise the Lord. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition to which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself to the opportunity of the opportunity. For he who has he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a free is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free was called uh, when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let there there let him remain with God. So. Let me just highlight a couple of things here. First of all, when it comes to our status in life and big decisions in life, our first and primary question should not be, what do I want to do? It can be whatever I want. Our, as Christians, our first and primary question should be, God, what have you called me to? What have you given me to do? What am I here for? I am yours. I'm on your assignment that you've entrusted to me. Life is a stewardship. And we are to discern what is it that God has called us to. We are to recognize what God has called us to. And we are to respond in faithfulness, obedience, and contentment to whatever status God has called us to in this life. We can be content in every season. Because God is our portion. He is enough for us. And so some people think that if they just change jobs, change cities, change spouses, change hobbies, change attire, that they're going to find fulfillment and satisfaction in this life. And God is focused on the heart and us having this relationship with him where we find our joy, our satisfaction in him and him alone. And so let me close with just a couple of points of application here. Resolve to be completely open and honest in your marriage. Resolve to be completely open and honest in your marriage. If you're going to experience Deep intimacy, knowing and being known within your marriage, you have to be honest and truthful. This is God's design. Naked and unashamed. Is there anything that you're holding back from your spouse? Is there anything that you would be ashamed of telling your spouse? You should be able to share anything with your husband or your wife at the closest earthly relationship that you have. And so be open and honest with your spouse. Be known. And aim to please your spouse spouse, and enjoy doing it. Pun intended. 
aim to please your spouse and enjoy doing it. Delight in giving pleasure to your spouse. Delight in serving them and loving them. Allow the gospel to shape your marriage relationship by reflecting on the relationship between Christ and the church. I'm, I'm challenged and convicted anytime I think about Jesus' example of sacrificing his life. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. When I really put my life up to that standard, and I'm really honest with myself, I fall short in so many different ways. And, and I think, husbands, if we do that well, if we love our wives well, we listen to them, we serve them, we love them in the ways that they need to be loved or want to be loved. Y'all familiar with the five love languages? It's important to find out how it, what, what, what ways does your spouse best receive love. When I, when I do that well, my, my wife is, is more prone to respond in a favorable way, in an honorable way. It's easier for her to honor my leadership as the husband, to, to follow my steps in the dance. Now, dancing, I, I really enjoy the dance. For my wife, it's like pulling teeth to get her on the dance floor. But she does it. She does it for my sake uh, because she knows I enjoy dancing with her. And, um, and I think it's a beautiful picture of, of marriage and, and the relationship. Um, lastly, culti- cultivate contentment in whatever season or s- status God has assigned to you. As the Apostle Paul said, I've learned to be content with little or much. And then husbands, help with the dishes. And seek to hear the heart of your spouse. Let me, this is not the Lord, but I want encouraging you this. And, um, there's a study done on couples uh, doing the dishes. I'm going to read this. Every day they slowly accumulate plates covered in sauces and crumbs, forks, knives, spoons, gummed with, with bits of this and that. And at the end of a long day of work, cooking, cleaning, and for many, negotiating with small children, a couple has, has to face the big question, who is going to do the dishes? A report from the Council of Contemporary Families suggests that the answer to that question can have a significant impact on the health and longevity of a relationship. It was found that for women, it's more important to share the responsibility of doing the dishes than any other chore. Women who wash the vast majority of the dishes report more relationship conflict, less relationship satisfaction, and even worse, sex than women with partners who help. Women are happier about sharing dishwashing duties than sharing any other household task. So husbands, do the dishes. Starts in the kitchen. Aim to please your spouse. Love your spouse well. She is a gift to you and Wives, your husband is a gift to you. Actually, can we do this for just a moment? If you're here and you're married, would you look over to your spouse if your spouse is here with you? And just look them in the eye for five seconds and just tell them, you are a gift to me. 
prayer partner, someone to talk through the weighty issues of life, someone to laugh with, to cry with, to be productive with, get stuff done. Lord, thank you for your good and beautiful design. May we here at City Church honor marriage and may we keep the bed undefiled. May you be glorified in the marriages here. May each one flourish. And Lord, we pray for our singles. That God, you would fill our singles with joy. That you would help them not to see themselves as second class. Help those of us who are married not to treat our singles as second class. But to be considerate about ways that we can practically serve and include singles, honor singles. Lord, may we flourish as a church. May we reflect the beauty and the glory of Jesus here and of the gospel. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you. And may he lift up the light of his countenance upon you. And may he give you his peace. You guys have a great day.